pleasure to be with you again. Did everybody get a handout? So this week, I decided to make you work for it. I'll let you fill in your own blanks. But that's the bad news. The good news is I brought gifts. I brought you guys pens. Now you may say, I don't need another pen. But let me tell you, these pens are pretty good. They're heavy. They're kind of like the old bank pens, except they're not tied to a desk. And they're really good pens. So who, who wants a pen and didn't get a pen? Raise your hand. Oh, wow. Keep them up. Sorry, Ryan. <laughs> I'm gonna put Ryan to work today. So just keep your hand up, and if you don't want, if you don't get one, see me after class. Uh, it just says Avantel, and then our website on here. And my only condition is, if you take one, whenever you see our name, just say a prayer for us as we're doing work around the uh, pardon. Oh yeah. Well, uh, just do your best. <laughs> that is that's, that's true about the sermon. I had good application. <laughs> so it's a joy to be with you. Last week we talked about evangelism, how to share the gospel with others. And we really covered three areas. We covered how to turn a conversation to spiritual things. We covered how to share the gospel. If you had a chance to share the gospel, what in the world would you say? And then we, we covered what happens if they ask me a question that I cannot answer. And so we covered those things, but this week we're going to zoom in on a specific application. And if you notice how we start there, the title is Reaching Family Members with the Gospel in Today's Culture. Notice how we start. One of the greatest burdens for a believer is to realize that individuals who are part of your family on earth may not be a part of your family in heaven. However, speaking to relatives about spiritual things can be difficult, especially when it is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The family can be one of the most intimidating mission fields that we have. In fact, some people find it easier to share the gospel with a stranger than with a family member. And there's multiple reasons for that. Uh, one of them are just the emotions that are involved. Whenever it comes to family, sometimes emotions are amplified because there are family members. Sometimes it has to do with the history where something that happened in the past affects what is going on in the present. Sometimes it's all about relationships. You know, you may have known this family members for, member for years. You, you, you kind of have a rhythm to how you relate to them. And then all of a sudden, you want to bring something new into the relationship, the gospel. It makes it challenging. And then finally, just the spiritual issues. The gospel divides. And you know what? Even Jesus experienced this. You know, there's a passage in the Gospels where it says, you know, Jesus was teaching and it says his, someone came to him and said, My, your mother and your brothers are outside for you. Well, they didn't come, the Bible says, because they wanted to hear his teaching. They came because they thought he was out of his mind. So even Jesus himself experienced that. But with all those things in mind, how do you go about speaking to relatives about spiritual things and specifically 
the gospel. Now today it's going to be really simple. I'm going to give you four don'ts. Don't do this. I'm going to give you four don'ts, four do's, and then we're done. Four don'ts, four do's, and then we're done. And again, all this is built on the foundation we laid last week of how to turn a conversation to spiritual things, how to share the gospel, and how to answer difficult questions or objections, okay? So let's get started. Let's start with the don'ts. Number one, don't be intimidated by the past. Don't be intimidated by the past. Now, why is the past an issue? Well, hey, no one knows you like your relatives. They know, you know, the old Western, they know the good, the bad, and the ugly. They've seen and known your past, your selfishness, your fits of anger, your unkind attitude, your hang-ups, and a host of other sins. And this can be intimidating when it comes to us sharing the gospel. And not only that, being Satan is a master of intimidation. Satan is a master of intimidation. He loves to say, what right do you have to talk to anyone? Remember when you used to do this or that? Now, how do you combat this? If, if this is what's holding you back from sharing the gospel with your relatives, thinking about, you know, they know my past, they know I'm not perfect, what do I do? First of all, number one, they may not even bring up the, the past. We get so worried about what someone else is thinking Sometimes they're not even thinking remotely about what we think they're thinking. But bear in mind, if they do bring up the past, bear in mind that God forgives and you must forgive yourself. Bear in mind that God forgives and you must forgive yourself. Sometimes you have to preach the gospel to yourself. And remind yourself that God, if you've put, placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that God has forgiven you. And this is huge. Learning to see yourself as God sees you. To live your life before God and not worrying about what man thinks. And I love uh, Psalm 103, 12. I'm going to make it personal. So this is what you, what you pray or say to yourself. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed my transgressions from me. Learn to view yourself as God sees you. Now, if there's an issue, if there's some way that you have offended your relative or you have wronged your relative, you need to make that right. And we're going to talk about that a little later uh, today. But just remember to uh, don't be intimidated by the past. So that's number one, first don't. Number two, and this one's a big one, don't take God's responsibility on your shoulders. Don't take God's responsibility on your shoulders. Sometimes we feel like the burden is on us for them to come to Christ. This is just not true because if it's all on us, they're never going to come to Christ because we are not the Holy Spirit. Um, 
A, recognize, Christ recognized the fact that his message was a divisive issue. Matthew 10, 34 and 30, through 36, he says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes will be those of his own household. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying the gospel divides. Kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light. And it can be so divisive that, and the expanse is so great that only God can overcome the division and bring that person. And it really, B is the key. Jesus recognized that for your relatives to come to Christ, he had to bring them. Notice what it says in John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless what? The Father who sent me draws him. No matter how articulate our explanation of the gospel, no matter how gifted we are, there's nothing we can do to, for, to bring someone to Christ. Only God can do that, but He uses us in the process. Only God can open someone's eyes to the truth. Um, let me illustrate. How many of you have seen this logo? Now let me ask you a question, but don't give away the answer. How many of you have seen the hidden symbol in this logo? Okay, you have. Anybody else? You have, you have, you have, you have. Now don't say what it is, but did someone have to show it to you or did you see it on your own? You don't, don't remember. So how many don't see a hidden symbol? Okay, a lot of people. So look carefully. Anybody see it? Okay, now watch. Here's the hidden symbol. Now you can't see it, right? So watch this. Look at the space between the E and the X. I'm, I'm hearing the lights come on. You see the arrow? All right. Now you see it, right? Every time you see FedEx from now on, you're going to see that. You can't unsee it. You still don't see it. Watch this. See this? See the outline here? See that point? That's the tip of the arrow. And there's the arrow inside. And I don't know if this is good marketing or not. Because once you see it, you see it everywhere. But if you don't see it, you don't see it. This is the way it works with the gospel and your relatives and anybody else you're trying to reach. You can, you can point to Jesus all day long and share the gospel, but it's only when the Holy Spirit illuminates their mind and shows them the gospel, shows them that there is a God, shows them that they're accountable to Him, shows them that they have sinned before Him, and shown them the beauty of Christ and how Christ alone is the way of salvation. Only when the Holy Spirit highlights it can they see it. And once you see truth, you can't unsee it. Does that make sense? 
Only the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we had a group that looked at this and they saw the arrow, but we had a whole, the majority of us could not see it. That's the way it is with our relatives. And it's only the whole, you know, we're there to share, but it's only the Holy Spirit who illuminates hearts. Jesus recognized that for your relatives to come to Christ, he had to bring them. Only the Holy Spirit can open someone's eyes to the gospel. And C is huge. How does this work together? C, uh, know your role. Know your role. Your job is contact. Jobs, God's job is conversion. Your job is contact. God's job is conversion. And we see this in action in Acts 16. And Acts 16 is all about Paul taking the gospel to Europe, to Macedonia. And he, and he had church and he preached to a group of women. One of them was named Lydia. And it says, as Paul was preaching, Acts 16, 14 says, The Lord did what? Opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And after she was baptized, her household and her household as well. So what did God do? Open her heart. What did Paul do? Speak the message. Paul's role and God's role, this is them working together. And we provide contact by sharing the gospel, but only God can open their heart and their eyes and their ears to understand the gospel. So our role is contact. God's role is conversion. Do not put the weight of their salvation upon your shoulders. Yes, you are to share the gospel, but it's in God's hands. As I say to some of my the people I work with at work, I say, if they start if they if they start doing other people's jobs, do you know what I say? Stay in your lane. And we need to do that in evangelism. All, our job is contact to share the gospel, but God's contact uh, job is conversion. All right, number three. Ooh, this is a big one. Number three, don't allow your opinions about secondary issues affect your communication of the main issue. Don't let your opinions about secondary issues affect your communication of the main issue and that's Jesus Christ and the gospel. Because let's face it, some of us love to share our opinions. Especially about politics, politicians, and political issues. And some of us may be more vocal about politics than we are about Jesus. And because our, sometimes when we're around our family and we're gathered together, sometimes those political opinions come out. And sometimes because our opinions about secondary issues are so strong and we say them so often, people begin to tune us out about other issues. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.22, I have become all things to all men that I might by all means, save some. He was not saying don't have a political opinion or an opinion about other things, but what he did say is 
there may be some issues that we need to set aside and not bring up and just remain quiet about so that they hear the main issue from us, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the other side of this. Don't let your relatives' political opinions uh, keep you from loving them. Don't let your relatives' political opinions keep you from loving them now. You may say, David, you don't know my relatives. Those bunch of liberals or those right-wing fanatics, you don't know. Um, but you, this is what you need to do. You need to look beyond someone's politics to the person. A person that God has made and a person that God loves. So number three. Don't let your opinions about secondary issues affect your communication of the main issue. You do not have to give your political opinion every time you have a chance. I challenge you in the New Testament to find where the Apostle Paul took up politics in his writings. Now, I'm not saying don't be involved in politics. And I'm not saying that there aren't times if the Spirit leads you to share your opinion about an issue. But what I am saying is, if you feel like you need to say it, check with the Lord first. Because you don't want your constant political opinions or your, uh, your opinions about other relatives to cloud the issue of the main issue, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Amen. Uh, and then finally, number four. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't be the family Pharisee. Don't be the family Pharisee. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean a selfish, a self-righteous, superior attitude has no place in evangelism. Luke 18, 11. Notice what the Pharisee does. He, it says the Pharisee. Now, this is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Remember, both went to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee prays first. And here's what the Pharisee prays. He says, the Pharisee stood and prayed with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. You know what sin does? It blinds us to our own sins. And it highlights everybody else's sin. All right? Um, if you're the type of person, you come to church and you hear a good sermon, if you, let me just say, and I do this myself, if you're thinking about other people who need to hear this sermon, you've missed the point. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord. Just because your relative's sins are, your relative's sins are obvious, maybe, uh, maybe alcohol, maybe uh, drugs, uh, maybe uh, they're bad language, just because they're obvious, it does not mean you don't have sins of your own. Pride, bitterness. The Bible says not some are sinners and fall short of the glory of God. What does the Bible say? All, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And here's what it comes down to. What sets you apart from anybody else is not the fact that you're morally superior to them. 
What sets you apart is that you know Jesus. And that He saw you as a wretched sinner, showed you the truth, and rescued you from the penalty that I deserve and the penalty that you deserve. And the only difference between you and that unsaved relatives is who? Jesus and the fact that He had mercy on you opened your eyes to the gospel. And that helps me when I'm around my relatives and I start feeling prideful or I start thinking, man, these fill in the blank. Don't, why can't they get it? No, we need to view ourselves as God views us. And the only difference between us and anybody else is the fact that Jesus has rescued us. He's the one that makes the difference. Amen? So those are the four don'ts. Let me give you four do's. Number one, here are the do's. Don't, number one, pray for them and get several other people to commit to do the same. Pray for them and get several other people to commit to do the same. A conversation with your relatives uh, about God needs to start with a conversation with God. A conversation that you want to have with your relatives about God, do you know where it starts? With your own conversation with God. In other words, you need to be praying to the Lord. Now, what do you pray for? Ask God for number one, laborers. Number one, laborers. Luke 10.2 the harvest is great, truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out what? Laborers into his harvest. Now, you may say, why do I need to pray for laborers? Um, you need to ask God to send someone in addition to you to speak to them. You need to ask God to send someone in addition to you to speak to them. Notice I said in addition. I did not say instead of you, which, which we think is the easier path, but someone in addition to you. Because you need to realize when it comes to your family members, sometimes we're tempted to think it's all on us. But God is so sovereign, so awesome. He uses a multiple... Uh, he uses multiple things to reach people. My witness, but also the witness of others that God sovereignly brings into their life in order to, to share the gospel with them. So pray for laborers, but don't forget when you're praying for laborers that you're actually praying for yourself. You're going as a laborer. You're a part of what God's doing, but also pray for him to send other people. So first, pray for labors. Number two, pray for opportunity. Pray for opportunity. Colossians 4, verse 3, Paul says, Meanwhile, praying for us, and he's talking to the Colossians, Meanwhile, praying for us that God would open a door for the Word. And that's, that's the word picture of this Greek word for opportunity. It's an open door to share uh, uh, be praying. If you know that you're going to spend the holidays with a relative, be praying. God, I just pray you would give me an opportunity 
to have some alone time with this relative in order to share the gospel. Or as you're talking with your relative, you're praying, Lord, give me the opportunity in this conversation to change the subject to spiritual things and to share the gospel. But you want it to be a divine moment that God provides. A private time uh, and, and it, praying for the opportunity to speak and as you're speaking, praying for an opportunity to share the gospel. So pray for opportunity. Number three, pray for boldness. Pray for boldness. Again, sharing Christ with your relative is intimidating. We need to pray for boldness. What that really means in the Greek is the freedom to speak. Where you, you know, you just, you're, you're scared, but God gives you the freedom to speak. All of a sudden, you're just sharing. No matter how they receive it, no matter uh, what they're saying, you have the boldness and the freedom to speak. Acts 4.29, when the believers were intimidated, notice what they prayed. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your service servants that with all what? Boldness they may speak your word. Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. And some of us have struggled with evangelism for years because we're so afraid. Have you ever thought to take a step back and say, let me begin by asking God for the boldness to do this? We, you know, we ask for food. We ask God for healing. We ask God for health. Why not ask Him for boldness, the freedom to speak? Um, I can think, you know, and, and how does God answer when you do pray for boldness? Well, sometimes God gives me boldness at the beginning, and I just have a supernatural boldness to share. But sometimes God gives me boldness one step at a time. I encountered a lady at Grapevine Mills Mall, was talking to her at a kiosk, and found out she was a Muslim from Pakistan. And I just started praying, God, I pray for the opportunity to change the gospel, and I pray for boldness to do so. And God gave me the words to I said, so you're Muslim? And she said, yeah. And I said, aren't there five things that, that Muslims are to do in order to have a right relationship with God? And she said, yeah. So we started naming the things, you know, giving alms and uh, going to Mecca at some point in your life. You know, there are five pillars of Islam, and we went over all four. I forgot the fifth one, but she uh, shared with me, so she was really teaching me. And at the end, I kept praying, Lord, I just pray for boldness to say the next thing. And you know what? God gave me the boldness, and He gave me the words, because here's what I said. I said, now, if you do those five things, and then one day you die and you go before God, or as you call Him, Allah, I said, how do you know if you've done enough? And she paused and thought. And she says, I don't know. And then I just prayed, Lord, give me the boldness. And God gave me the words to speak. And I said, that's the difference between your belief and my belief. Is that Christians know there's, we can never do enough to earn God's favor. And that's why God had to come to us. Uh, in the form of Jesus Christ. And I walked her through the gospel. She did not trust Christ, but she did grin and she said, you know what? You're the third person this week, third Christian who has talked to me. Talking about 
praying for others to come into somebody's life. But the key is I'm praying for boldness in each stage of the conversation. And as God sees me taking the next step of faith, He provides the boldness that I need for that moment in the conversation. And then praying for the boldness to take the next step. So we pray for laborers. We pray for opportunity. We pray for boldness, the freedom to speak. And finally, number four, pray for salvation. Pray for salvation. Pray for people by name. Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 4, and I've consolidated this. He says, therefore, exert first of all that supplications, and all supplication is asking God to supply, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So you pray for the person. You pray for that unsaved relative. But you're also praying, God, I pray for their salvation. But I pray, God, that you would make it clear what I'm to do. My part of this. If I'm to speak. If I'm to love. What am I to do? What's, what, how am I a piece of this puzzle? Now, here's the challenge. The challenge is that sometimes this, the people in our family that don't know the Lord are obvious. They may cuss all the time, and, or they may have a struggle with alcohol, or they just may be a flat-out atheist and very vocal about that fact. Sometimes people that we're praying for are obvious, but we need to be praying for our entire family, even those who are quiet, even those that even may be in church. Just because you're in church doesn't necessarily mean that you know Jesus. You know, you remember Billy Sunday? Well, you're not going to remember Billy Sunday, but you know who he is? You know what he used to say? Uh, just because you're in church doesn't mean you're a Christian any more than just because you're in a garage doesn't mean you're a car. <laughs> Don't overlook family members who may be quiet, who may be more polite. They may not know the Lord either. And I can think of two close relatives of mine who were very quiet, both of them in church. But when I asked them where they were on their spiritual journey, one told me one day he decided to stop doing bad things and start doing good things. Now that's good, but that's not the gospel. And I came to later in that conversation found out he, he did not know the Lord. So, you know, God since then has given me like eight different times to share the gospel with him. And I think now it clicks up here. I'm not sure yet if it's clicked here. The other relative told me I'm just trying to be good so that, um, so that God will accept me. Now these were people that anybody, they'd say both of those people were in church. Both of those people were God-fearing. But just because you're God-fearing doesn't mean you're God-knowing. Don't take anything for granted. And when you pray for salvation... Don't pray for just the obvious family sinner. Pray for everyone, particularly those who, uh, who uh, may be quieter. And don't assume just because they're in church that they know the Lord, all right? So that's the first do, is prayer. Second, number two, recognize the balance 
between confrontation and tact. Recognize the balance between, needed between confrontation and tact. Now, how do you do that? What's the balance between confronting them about the gospel and being polite and being kind? Uh, letter A, put yourself in their shoes. Before you share the gospel, before you speak to them, think, you know, how will they receive this? What, what may they be thinking? I mean, if you bring up the gospel, do you know what some people think? You know, Fred, we've known each other for decades. Why are you bringing this up now? Why is all of a sudden this coming up? Has there been something that I've done that's offended you? Or have I done something to make you think less of me? Now, they're not probably not going to say that, but they may be thinking it. And you need to anticipate, put yourself in their shoes. If someone were to come to you with this kind of news, how would you react? Another thing they may be thinking as they listen to you, they may think, man, am I going to hear this now every time we get together? Are they going to, is this going to be the issue? Um, we need to be putting ourselves in their shoes and, and, and we need to answer those things to, uh, and make sure we alleviate those fears as we're talking to them. B, and this one's big, don't ambush them. Don't ambush them. Um, bringing up the gospel the first time to somebody, it, maybe the family dinner table when everybody's there is not the right time to do it. Maybe it needs to be a private conversation. Maybe as, as Dr. Swindoll, or who's the music minister this morning? Don, he said we need to prime the pump. Maybe you need to prime the pump a, a little bit. I'll give you an example. One young man uh, was dating my oldest daughter, and they were getting pretty serious. And uh, I got to know him a couple of times. He was from another state. And the second or third time we together, I said, all right, we're going to get all this out on the table. So, you know, I barely knew him, and I said, let me talk to you about some things. And I began to share. And um, to this day, I wish I would have gotten to know him just a little more before I jumped in. Because I really raked him over the coals. Um, I did it in front of others, embarrassing him. I did it without getting to know him, and I did it out of fear. Here's a non-believer who may marry my daughter. And to this day, I regret it. I don't regret sharing the gospel, but I do regret the way I shared it and the timing and the motive of why I shared it. And I had to come back to this same person later and apologize. I said, I, I won't apologize for the truths I'm sharing, but I do apologize for the manner in which I shared them. And I am so sorry, I should have gotten to know you more. And he was very, very gracious. But, but we need to remember, don't ambush them. And if you're going to share, uh, talk about spiritual things in the gospel, I recommend it making it a one-on-one -on -one conversation, not to embarrass them in front of the others in the family. Uh, C, and this goes along with it, listen and show respect. Listen and show respect. I love the quote from Walt Whitman. He says, be curious, not judgmental. Be curious, not judgmental. 
find out what they think and why they think it. You know, last week we talked about the question, you know, oh, that's an interesting opinion. What led you to that conclusion? And find out what they think about God, about sin, about themselves, about church. And make yourself a student of them and listen and show respect. D, oh, this is huge, rely on the Holy Spirit. Rely on the Holy Spirit. Now, we've talked about this, about relying on the Holy Spirit to let, for you to do contact, for Him to uh, do the conversion. But you also need to um, rely on the Holy Spirit for yourself. God, help me to walk in the Spirit and show the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Because your family members may say things to try to push your buttons, or they're not even trying to. They're just really good at pushing your buttons. You need to align yourself with the Lord before the conversation. Say, God, I'm totally depending on you. And you know you're in alignment when they're trying to push your buttons and those buttons no longer work. Because you've got the joy and you've got the power and the fruits of the Holy Spirit, even if they're saying things to try to mess with you or push your buttons. Does that make sense? So rely on the Holy Spirit for conversion but also rely on the Holy Spirit for your demeanor and the manner in which you're sharing the gospel. And then letter E, there may be times when you need to back off for a time or a period of time. There may be times when you need to back off for a period of time. Have you already shared the gospel with them and they know all the steps of the gospel? Um, it may be time if they know it may be time to back off a little bit. Still love them, but it may be time to back up. Or is there an argument every time you bring it up? Is there a fight going on? You may need to back off for a while, but here's the deal. You may need to back off on talking with them about the gospel, but you don't need to back off in praying, in your prayers. In fact, you may need to intensify your prayers Asking God to send an additional witness. And we've already talked about that. So it may be time to back off. And it, it, this is an art more than it's a science. How to know, hey, we've talked about this, we've talked about this, and now it's time to back off. I've got another relative who, uh, he and I had a conversation uh, on vacation together. And uh, he is a self-proclaimed borderline atheist. He says he's an agnostic. And while we were on the beach, um, I was looking out at the oceans and looking at the water. And I said, I tell you, and he was sitting next to me. And I said, I tell you what, when I see all the, the, the way the tides work and the moon, and I said, all this beauty, I said, I cannot help but think that there's a creator. And he said, and he looked at me and he said, well, David, I'm 99.9% sure this is all a coincidence now this is why it was important for me to be prayed up with the lord because inside i want to go are you crazy i mean just look at this hand this hand here there's nothing special about it's it's just like everybody else this is an engineering marvel how could this happen 
And you know, the, the real young David would want to say, are you stupid? You know, that's what I'm thinking, but I'm depending on the Holy Spirit for those fruits. And I said, and here's what I said, and again, prayed for boldness, prayed for God to give me. I said, if you knew, I said, if you knew there was a God that created all this, if you knew, let's just, and he was like, no, no, there's not. And I said, but if there was, I said, would you want to know him? And he said, well, he said, if there was a God of that magnitude, I would feel like it would be me talking to this little grain of sand. And there would be no point in it. And I said, number one, you're not a grain of sand. Number two, God made you. And number three, God has made it clear in his word that he wants to know you. So we went around and around a little bit more. And I said, i tell you what I'm going to do. I said, I'm going to pray that the God that I know, and I believe it's the only God, I pray that the God that I know will make himself known to you. May I pray that for you? And he said, sure. He said, but you're only going to pray to one God? What about all the others? And again, I'm just like, and I said, I said, I said, I'm not going to say his name. I almost did. I said, you know what? I said, God has been so good to me. I said, in my experience and what I've learned, there's only one. The, the systems of the world, they're too organized. It's too orderly for there to be more than one. I said, I believe there's one. And, and I said, you know, and he said, well, what if you're wrong? And I kind of went out on a limb here. He said, what if you're wrong? And I said, if, if I'm wrong, I pray that my heart would be flexible enough to adjust to the truth. And I, I kind of went out on a limb there because I said, I'm convinced. But I said, if I'm wrong in any of this, I would want my heart to be flexible enough to adjust to the truth. And, and here's how I knew I landed the plane in a good way. He said, you know what? I hope mine would be too. One step closer. Now at that point, it's time to back off a little bit and pray and trust our almighty sovereign God to make himself known. Now whether or not my relative acknowledges him or that's in God's hands. But see, my part is to do my part. And at that moment, it's time to back off. And I know Christmas is coming. I know that uh, I will see this individual. And I'm praying right now, Lord, pray for laborers that you will take up how we left it, that you'll make himself known to him through just evidence and through other believers. I pray for opportunity and I pray for boldness and I pray for salvation. But Lord, what is my part? this coming Christmas? Or am I supposed to contact him before? We need to be aligned with the Lord. Make sense? There's times where we need to back off for a period of time. Uh, another alternative, number three, another do. Consider a letter. Consider a letter. A verbal witness is not your only way to evangelize them. Now, this is not a one-page letter. This is a five, six-page letter. It's just another way to reach them. 
And you may say, well, what do I need to write in the letter? Let me give you four things, and they all begin with C. Of course, I was raised Southern Baptist, so of course they all begin with C. All right, number one, confess anything you need, you feel needs to be confessed. Confess anything that you feel needs to be confessed. If you have wronged them in any way, or if the two of you had a disagreement, you can confess and apologize for your part in that. Confess anything you need that needs to be confessed. But here's the deal. If you confess, either in person or in the letter, don't give a fake apology. Don't give a fake apology. And you may be saying, well, what's a fake apology? Let me give you three examples of fake apologies. Number one, the conditional apology. I'm sorry if something I said offended you. Or I'm sorry if your feelings were hurt. Am I really apologizing there? No, because I'm making the issue them. If I've done something wrong, I need to own my own thing. Not the fact that I hurt their feelings, but if I did something wrong to hurt their feelings, I need to apologize for that. Uh, the minimizing apology. Well, I was just trying to help, or I was just kidding. No, we need to own it. How about the one-size-fits-all apology? I'm sorry for everything that I've ever done that hurt you. That's another fake apology. Here's a true apology. A true apology does not contain conditions or minimize what was done. Um, a true apology shows that you understand the person's experience and their feelings. A real apology shows remorse on your part. It offers a commitment to avoid repeating what you did, to avoid repeating the hurtful behavior, and it offers to make amends or provide restitutions where appropriate. In, in short, a real, a real apology is one where you own it. You say, guilty is charged, and I am so sorry for my actions and the fact that my actions, which were wrong, have hurt you. How can I make it? So if you're going to apologize, give a true um, apology. And you may need to pray to the Lord, Lord, if there's something that I have done that was wrong, that I need to make right in all these years that I've known them, reveal that to me, God, and, and give me the boldness to make it right. So confess anything that you feel needs to be confessed. That's the first C. Second C, number two, compliment them. For what they have meant to you. Compliment them for what they have meant to you. And you may need to ask God's help. There may be some relatives that you have. You're about, man, I'm really scratching my head here, David, about how I'm going to compliment this person. Trust me, there is at least one or two things that you can find in the life of your relative to compliment. Just the other day, I complimented one of my relatives. Oh, crusty hardened I, I said man I just thank you for your work ethic just appreciate it's been an inspiration to me so complimenting them sincerely can help number three in the letter express your concern for them express your concern tell them why you want them to know the Lord 
not just because you want to be proven right, but because you want them to experience the same grace, the same mercy, and the same forgiveness that you have experienced. And finally, number four, talk about the cross. Talk about the cross. Be clear on the gospel message. And the reason I like letters is because it's not a text that they can delete. I don't know if I really, unless God's leading you, I don't know if I'd use text to share the gospel or an email, but if God leads you to, absolutely do it. Better communicated than not communicated. But a letter, letters are so rare these days, especially handwritten ones, and it's something that they can keep and put in a drawer. And even if they don't come to uh, Christ at that moment, they may keep it in the drawer and God may bring it back into their lives later and they may wind up trusting Christ later on. So, talk, so the four things to talk about in the letter are um, confession, to compliment them, to show your concern, and then finally, the final C, talk about the cross. And then finally, the number, the fourth do, and this one's huge, recognize that your actions reinforce your words. That your actions reinforce your words. The witness of the lips accompanied by the witness of the life is powerful. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2.10, as he reflects back on when he was first with the Thessalonians, he says, You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. And B, the big life item that communicates to non-Christians is consistency. It's consistency. And it goes back to Dr. Swindoll's sermon this morning. Are you who you say you are? Are you the same person in private that you are in public? Can they count on you each and every time? Does it mean you're perfect? No, by no means. None of us are. But the question is, are you consistent? Are you consistent? And this is so huge because you never know how circumstances may change. Their circumstances may change. Maybe they experience a health issue. Maybe they, get, they become down on their luck. Maybe something happens in their life. And then when that happens, uh, who, you know, they're thinking, who can I depend on? Who do I know that's going to go to bat for me and who's going to be right there with me? And if you live the consistent life, loving them, supporting them, being the same person all the time, they may be more open at that point in the future because of your consistency. You never know when circumstances may change and that consistency can prove vital. And then finally, see, when you do fail, recognize that honesty is the best policy. Honesty is the best policy. And again, when you goof up, when you mess up, when you lose your temper, just own it and say, you know what, I, was, I did lose my temper and I apologize to you. And that goes a very long way. It's not that they're expecting us to be perfect, but they are asking us to be honest and transparent and humble enough to ask, yes, even a non-believer for forgiveness. 
So reaching relatives can be challenging, but here's the, here's the bottom line summary. And some of us think, man, is my relative ever going to come to Christ? God has never met a person his heart did not love or his arms could not reach. As one of my relatives said, there's no nut too hard for God to crack. Uh, ask God to help you do your part as he does his. Remembering you are a part of the picture. And here's the goal. Whenever you're around your relative or you know you're going to be near them, ask God, God, how can, here I am before you, how can I move my relative one step closer to you today? Through my actions, through my words, through my testimony, how can I move them one step closer today? If they open up and they want to hear the whole gospel, great, go for it. But how, make your goal whenever you're around your relative, or as you're praying for your relative, or you know you're going to speak to them, Lord, how can you, I'm here, use me to move them one step closer today. My goal today is not just to help you reach your relatives, it's help to help you to reach anyone, because when you lead someone to Christ, they become your spiritual relative forever. Amen? All right. And on the back, we have resources uh, that we have because we want to support you in your mission. Whether you're trying to reach a neighbor, whether you're trying to reach a relative, whether you're trying to reach a co-worker, we want to be there every step of the way to support you. So these are some resources that we have in addition to what I've covered these last two weeks. Oh, and in the back... We have tons, you have tons of materials, tracks. I suggest if you haven't got a track to get one, learn the method so that when you do have the chance to speak to a relative or neighbor, you have a roadmap in what to say. And again, if there's any questions you have after the uh, Sunday school, feel free to ask me. I'm here for you guys. Let me close this in prayer and then I'm gonna turn it over to you. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for every person in this room. Father, uh, most of us have struggled with uh, non-believing non relatives and how challenging that can be and how heart-riching that could be. But Father, I pray that you would use what we've learned today in our lives so that we can be your instruments in their lives uh, to move them closer to you and even to uh, facilitate a relationship with you where they can experience the same joy, the same peace, uh, the same... Um, the same uh, beauty of having a relationship with you that we have, God. And I pray that you would give us opportunities, even this week, to share with our relatives the hope that is within us, God. For your glory and honor, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you.